Welcome to Raw Relationships, the podcast that keeps relationships real and wonderful. I'm Melissa, and I'm your host. Well, good evening, everyone. Tonight, I am interviewing Joshua Shea. To give you a little rundown on him, Joshua seemingly had it all. A loving wife, two children, and a supportive extended family. In 2010, he launched a lifestyle magazine in his hometown. Within a year, he was one of the founders of Central Maine's largest film festival and had won a seat on his city council. Accolades including receiving the key to the city and being called one of the next 10 people shaping Maine's economy by a state newspaper. While the public got one picture of Shea, behind closed doors, his longtime mental health and addiction issues were festering. A workaholic by nature, he actively ignored the red flags surrounding his long-existing pornography and alcohol problems, finding it easier to lose himself in a bottle of tequila <clears throat> and adult websites. Josh's relationships with his family, colleagues, and friends grew distant. His business ventures began to collapse. Life as he knew it came to a screeching halt when he was arrested on a charge in 2014. So let's get back to talking to Josh and let's bring him in and let's hear his story. Welcome, Josh. Please go ahead and introduce yourself to our list and uh, just give us your story um, and then I'll fire some questions at you. <laughs> I am from and still live in um, a book called The Addiction Note that is my descent of pornography and I'll more on pornography because it's something that we don't talk about. is one, I did a darn good job. 20, 25 years, uh, but it all eventually came to a head in 2014 um, when the Maine State Police showed and uh, me that I had online interaction with a, and uh, that pretty much led to the end of uh, my public professional life. I was a Central Maine, also one of the creators of one of the largest film festivals here. And I was also a local politician serving on my city council. So I was very well known um, in the media. And uh, I eventually ended up doing stints in rehab, both for alcohol and then another for sex addiction. I uh, passed four years uh, sober. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Good for you. you. That's awesome. So tell us a bit about that addiction. Tell us a bit about uh, where where your mind's at in that instance well um essentially what happened was i see as a crutch from when i first discovered it 12 13 years um straight up through that i was arrested um the last probably hurt because like any addiction it was something else mm-hmm. i pornography coping mechanism and i spent all my time um and plateaued it was not a great business um so i will keep it uh I decided that the smartest move for me was to put it of my bipolar medication, thinking that if I could tap into my manic side, I would have the time and energy to figure out how to save my company and everything else would line up. But unfortunately, in abandoning 
I fell to using pornography and alcohol at an exponential rate compared to what I had been doing. And uh, as with any addiction, things, you know, you build a tolerance and things get more extreme. Venture into harder things from using, uh, just watch videos passively on, like, actually join the chat room and mm-hmm. eventually trying to get uh, appear nude and uh, in turmoil. And I, I don't know that I even was a thing at that point i just it was one left in my life that helped me cope with right now do you think that um like you said you had went off your medication i find a lot of people do that because they for whatever reason um what was the exact reason you did that was i pulled do that and uh, i think what it comes down to is you romanticize the me um for years i thought that i was starting teenage years i thought that i had a problem depression and what i didn't realize until i was in my early the help of a therapist and, and a doctor was that i had bipolar and that mania was sort of my normal um i was somebody who only ever needed to sleep four hours and ultra create i excuse me i was you know i always felt or looking back i died um and there were there this was the time i pulled myself off of my meds it's something that i'd done two or three times um since i was diagnosed and always all it, I always felt like I performed a human being, you know, the, the, the fallacy of it. Um, I always felt mm-hmm. I performed a being when I could tap into the manic. Right, which is the up, uh, so really. Yeah. And do you think that's probably similar for other other bipolar, people with bipolar disorder as well? Um, I, I think that, in, uh, you know, from the bipolar people that I've talked with, um, who have done you know similar things as I have? It's not that we're feeling up when we pull ourselves off our meds. It's that we're feeling completely normal and at an even keel. And you sometimes tell yourself after weeks and months and years of taking the meds and not being too high and not being too low that maybe this is just something that's gone away. You know, maybe this was like a, a broken leg that got fixed. And maybe I'm right. not bipolar anymore. I don't need to take these pills. I'm okay now. I'm, I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm not insane. I'm not mentally ill. Everything's okay. And you take right. yourself so, off those pills, and it's never happened. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think uh, people, I think it's probably a, a mental illness thing altogether because I've heard the same thing with people with depression. Um, you know, they're on depression medication and they feel good. So they're like, I don't need this anymore. I'm not depressed, <laughs> you know. Right, but then exactly. They, and then they go off and of it of the, and all hell breaks loose. And when I talk to people who are hesitant, get on medication for bipolar disorder for and I always tell them these stories and you know I let them know that you know it, it's not that you are crazy it's not that you have a mental illness it's not that anything is going that bad you know bipolar is actually a physical illness um, yeah. that manifests itself with you know mental illness type symptoms um, I was reading just a couple months back that uh, they're considering moving bipolar disorder into the same family of diagnosis as things like dementia and Alzheimer's uh, because of what's oh. happening with uh, the neurotransmitters and the neurons in the brain, which it makes sense to me. And when I, I, when I was younger, um, hesitated taking pills. Um, it made sense because if I had, you know, if I needed blood thinners, I'd take yeah. medication or heart medication, I would take it. 
This is a condition that I have. It's an ongoing condition, and I need to not fall into that trap of believing that everything's okay. Because if everything's okay, all that means is that the medicine is working. Right, right, exactly, exactly, exactly. So, um, and so when you when you reached that, that point in 2014, you were off your meds, you said, right? I'd been off my meds for about six months, and my... Oh. Uh, use of both alcohol and pornography uh, absolutely exploded, um, and my estrangement with my family, my professional endeavors tanking, um, everything was happening at the same time. It's hard to say how each played into the formula, but it was it was just a fast track to rock bottom. Yeah, yeah. And so when when you hit that rock bottom, what helped you to recover and and try to move forward and rebuild everything that you had? Oh, you know, honestly, it was the police showing up at my door. I mm-hmm. family had taken me aside and said, hey, your drinking is getting to be too much. Only, uh lost my job or closed one of my companies. I don't think that would have fixed anything. Um, I was the type of person, um, you know, definite narcissist tendencies who always lived his life uh, doing what he wanted and saying sorry after the fact. Um, It's Mm -hmm. so much easier to just do what you want instead of asking for permission. And most of the time when you're charming and have a little bit of charisma, you can get away with a lot. And that's how I lived my life. And this is this was a situation where um, I needed everything to be destroyed at the same time. And yeah, way short of death, that everything would have been destroyed at the same time. Um, but when those police officers showed up, I, I had two thoughts. My first thought was, oh, my God, my life is about to change forever. And my second thought was, oh, thank God, everything is about to change forever. Because yeah. the way that I was going, uh, the physical, mental, emotional, and even spiritual, um, I don't know if I would be alive now, you know. Mm-hmm. Four years later, had uh, had the police not shown up at my door, so it was a blessing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like such a hit, but I think you know um, when I don't personally know uh, because I don't have haven't had any strong addictions, but I've witnessed a lot of it. Um, and I think, you know, with certain things like alcohol, once you start doing it all the time, you have to do it. You know, it's, it's, uh, otherwise you feel your health, you know, um, things change, right, when you put that kind of alcohol in your body. So Absolutely. You know, and, and, and there definitely is, you know, a physical toll that something like alcohol or drugs take on your body versus something like pornography or gambling, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but that fix you get, that little, you know, knock in your head, um, yeah. that's what you go after. And I, and I can tell you that from the first day that I saw hardcore pornography when I was young to the first, and the first time that I ever actually got drunk when I was young, it was largely the same reaction. And I use them for largely the same reasons all the way up through life. Now, if it's the middle of the day and I'm at work, well, since I'm the boss, I can have a beer if I want, um, but right. I can't sit there and look at porn. If it's 2 a.m. and everybody at my house is asleep, 
well, that makes porn a lot easier. Um, they were both being used to cope with stress and to, to cope with anxiety and to just deal with life in general. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that uh, officially uh, pornography and sex addiction are not addictions yet, but a lot of the research states that, you know, within the next decade, they probably will be part of the official DSM, and it probably yeah. will be a yeah. uh, diagnosable condition the way that gambling addiction was recently added. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't help, I think, with, you know, technology evolving so fast. You know, back in the day, if you wanted to watch porn, you got a magazine. <laughs> now no, exactly. Have... Yeah, exactly. Now I think that I'm one of the last people you know, of a generation who got hooked through magazines and having to go rent videotapes at the video store. Um, yeah, yeah. I, they were you know, we're, we're seeing the fallout <laughs> now when you look at the statistics of what mm-hmm. happens when you have, you know, an unfettered access to any kind of pornography possible. Um, mm-hmm. Really scary statistic is take people, <coughs> or excuse me, men between 18 and 30, a recent survey showed that 33% of them believe that they have an issue or a flat-out addiction to pornography. That's one in three guys under 30. And if that doesn't get taken care of soon, well, those guys are going to be 40 and 50 and 60. And you tell me what it's going to look like in this world when one out of three men have a pornography addiction, and that's lowballing it. Because if you look at how the trends work, you're probably going to have 40 or 50% of men addicted to pornography if yeah. what happens continues. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I've decided to share my story with everybody is because it's like my book title says, this is something that we need to start talking about. Yeah. Well, it, it does need to be talked about, I think. And so many people are so touchy on the subject, but it's real life. And like you said, it's so accessible. Like, um, my son is on YouTube, and he, all he has to do is punch in the wrong button, and it's there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know? And, y- and YouTube is one of those old. things. Yeah, YouTube prides itself on not having adult content, but anybody with an IQ of 60 can figure out how to find adult content on YouTube. You know, yeah. and I always, I always, when I talk to uh, parents or uh, spouses of people with porn addictions, you know, I, I know a lot of people will scream, use filters and net nanny and this and that. And I gotta say, you can't keep up with technology. The way that we're going to no. beat this is not by trying to set up fences around it. Um, it's by mm-hmm. dealing with the problem at the core because every kid knows more about technology than their parents. And anybody who has a real addiction or has a real problem and wants to get at the stuff will figure out a way to get at the stuff. Yeah, just like any other addiction, right? Drugs, alcohol. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they absolutely. It, they can hide it from you, but you're going to find it if you, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right. And I know. Right. Yeah. And so what, uh, talking about getting to the core of it, um, what for you was the core of that addiction? Was it just that feeling, like the rush that it gave you, or was it a way to get away from something else you were dealing with? Uh, you know, it, it, it evolved over time. Um, for a lot of my life, um, and one of the reasons why I guess I didn't really see that it was a problem was that um, it really just served to replace intimacy. 
And I never thought about what that really meant, but I knew that I didn't have to worry if I didn't have a girlfriend at the time or if my girlfriend wasn't interested in, in, you know, that activity on a particular night. And after I got married, you know, I used it very much the same way. It wasn't until those last couple of years that it started to take a little bit uh, deeper turn. And by the time that I was uh, in those last six, seven months online in chat rooms, um, it was not even really, it wasn't about sex. It wasn't about self-soothing. It was all about control and power. Um, I I had lost so much control of my life and I lost all the power in my life or felt that I did. And one of the only ways that I, you know, I told myself that I could get it was when I was able to manipulate and convince uh, the women who were on the other end of the computer to do the things that I wanted. And I didn't, I didn't want somebody who was a stripper who would just acquiesce to anything. I wanted somebody who said they wouldn't do something like that. So I could go through the entire dance of convincing them. And then ultimately, you know, if I was successful, that made me feel like I had some power that made me feel like I was worth something. And Mm -hmm. to have to use pornography in the middle of the night to get that sensation of self-worth, well, that's when you really hit a critical stage. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I hate the fact that um, I crossed that line and and, uh, did what I did with that teenage girl. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also, in a way, think that it wasn't going to stop unless I did something like that, that, that flagged the police. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know what would have happened. I mean, I, I still, like I said, I look at this as a blessing that uh, the police were able to intervene because it really did save my life. Mm-hmm. And what, what steps are you taking now to, to get that self-worth and that value for yourself rather than addictions? Well, um, I'm regularly uh, in therapy, um, both one-on-one and group. Um, I understand the concept of addiction so much better. Um, I understand triggers. I understand red flags. I now have the tools to cope with them. Um, There's been a giant readjustment of priorities in my life, um, putting my family, you know, first and foremost at the top. Um, And really, it's... it's, um, I don't feel necessarily like I'm, I'm taking it day to day anymore because it's been four years. Um, mm-hmm. But at the very beginning, you know, I was taking it not just day to day, but hour to hour uh, right. when there were urges and, and things like that. And through this book and through my website, which is recoveringpornaddict.com, I've been doing a lot of uh, you know, reaching out with people, peer to peer counseling, um, just mm-hmm. talking to people who are doesn't necessarily have to be a legal situation like mine is, although I do talk with several men in those situations. I also talk mm-hmm. with wives and girlfriends and people who are going through uh, similar situations that I did. And I felt like I had nobody um, back when right. all of this was happening. And I didn't know what was going on with me, uh, both before and after I was arrested. And it's nice to be able to connect with people and give them some of the hope and some of the knowledge that I, I was never privy to. And that's been one of the biggest parts of my recovery is reaching out and helping um, others. I've the last six, eight months have 
I've never felt better in my life because I feel like I've taken this horrible, heinous thing that I did, and I'm now finally able to get some good out of it somehow. And that's, uh, that's really affirming for me. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, sharing your story, any, anybody sharing their story and their, their growth, right, is, is such a healing thing, not only for other people, but for ourselves, too, so that, you know, it just makes us that much stronger, and it kind of holds us accountable to other people as well, you know, in a, in a weird way, because you would hate to, you know, help these people and then have them find out you've Oh, no, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that was one of the things when I was drinking a lot or using porn that I always worry about people finding out. My wife, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. she would see me come home a little bit tipsy and she would tell me, what would it look like if a city councilor got nailed for drunk driving? That would be the top story in the newspaper. And how would you look to everybody? Ironically, you know, when I was arrested, it was the top story in the newspaper for several days. And it was the top story on TV news here in Maine for several days. Um, you know, what her, her prophecy came true. And I really mm-hmm. learned that, you know, you are held accountable in the public's eyes. And when you stick yourself out there, and I'm certainly doing it on a much smaller level now, um, on, yeah. you know, one-on-one with people or in interviews like this, but, yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, it provides an accountability. And for somebody like me who never cared about accountability, um, that's a big part of my life at this point. Um, a lot of times people will ask me, do you think it's good that you went to jail? And I say, absolutely. I needed that. Yeah. I needed that to be shown that, you know, you are accountable for your actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, there's, and yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. So my question um, about your wife is, uh, are you guys still together after? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. She, uh, I, I don't not think that I would be at this stage of my recovery if it wasn't for her. She stuck by my side. She wanted to work to keep the family together. She knew that I was lost in my work and lost yeah. as a person. And, uh, I just, I thank God that she didn't abandon me. Um, the day that I was arrested, I called her to come bail me out. And uh, when I got in the car with her, the first thing I said was, you know, I won't ask any questions if you want to get a divorce. And I won't try to tell you that it's the wrong thing to do. I completely understand if you want to get a divorce. And all she said to me was, was it little kids? And I said, no, it was, it was a teenage girl who looked you know, uh, developed and she said, okay, that's what I thought, and that's what I yeah. needed to know. Now let's get through this and get you some help. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty awesome because I think a lot of people would probably run <laughs> scared. Oh, it's, it, it, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely rare. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of people run immediately um, a lot, uh, in, in this situation. I, I don't know if I would have stayed if the, if the mm-hmm. situation were reversed, to be honest. But she mm-hmm. did, and I'm so thankful because I've seen men who were in positions like I was with a family and stable job and income who uh, really get abandoned by their family and friends. And I'm mm-hmm. lucky that I didn't because they've been such a source of strength in my recovery. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um,
disclosing as much to them. Um, right. I, at the time that it happened, my son was in, I believe, fifth grade, and my daughter was a freshman in high school. Um, oh, no. So it was, it was splayed all over the place. My son had a much easier time, I think, because kids that age don't read the newspaper. Um, yeah. My, my parents were also uh, former teachers at the school that he was at. So they had friends there who were also teachers and administrators who kind of looked out out for him. My daughter had it a bit rougher. Um, she actually left her school for the remainder of the year after I was arrested. And uh, she started the following year at a different school, but after half a year decided she wanted to try to go back to her old school. And she did, but uh, I know that she heard things from friends here and there. Um, yeah. and I've always, I've always tried to be very honest without being, uh, very detailed or graphic with them. Right. Um, right. Well, when my, when guess... my book came out, my son, who's now 15, asked to read my book and my book mm-hmm. is not overly graphic either. I didn't want to be exploitive with it. So I yeah. said, you know, I, this, this book is in libraries and it's in stores and it's on Amazon. I can't hide it from you. So if you want to read yeah. it, here's a copy. And I gave it to him. After that, you know, he had a couple. He had a couple points that he wanted to ask me about, but it was nothing that I figured it would be. You know, very surprising yeah. questions he had, and my daughter has said that she's really not interested in reading it, and I respect yeah. that too. Yeah, well, I think you know when you're trying to raise awareness, you know, hiding it from them isn't isn't kind of <laughs> you know no. like it, it could actually save your son's life if he knows you know, knows about it instead of just if all the other kids are doing it and it's okay, right? Right, absolutely. And I I hope that, uh, I hope it shows them that, you know, you can be knocked down to the lowest levels, but you can build yourself back up. And, you know, I'm, I'm so much prouder of myself now. And I feel like I'm a more, more uh, healthy contributor to society than I ever was when I was producing a magazine for tens of thousands of people, or when I had people flying in from all over the world to come to the film festival I produced, you know, that was, Mm -hmm. that was a lot of feathers in my cap. And I kind of puffed out my chest because of, you know, how much attention I got and what I created. But, you know, earlier today I was exchanging emails with a guy in the UK who's just having a really rough day um, dealing with his porn addiction. And, that felt so much more organically uh, fulfilling than anything I'd done in a previous life. And my kids have witnessed both. And I hope that they're getting the message that, you know, this is a, uh, this is a better way to live than the way that I was living. Yeah. And I think that's, that's ultimately the message, right? Is, you know, you can have everything going for you, career, money, you know, maybe the world's sexiest life or whatever, but ultimately it doesn't bring fulfillment like it it may bring happiness but that happiness is fleeting because there's no exactly exactly Mm -hmm. and you know the 
the reasons, you know, that I, I wrote the book and I, I wrote the first chapter when I was sitting in jail, I was, I was there for six months and I didn't want to let that time just slip by. I wanted to create something that I had when I came out that could give something to the world. And as I was writing it, I realized there was really two main goals. One was to show the world that there is no stereotypical porn addict. Um, mm-hmm. In rehab, I met, you know, mothers and doctors and nurses and lawyers and homeless people and you know any type of person you can imagine can be a porn addict and the other point of my my book was there are so many people struggling with porn addiction who think they're alone and don't realize just how many people in this world are struggling so i my the the book is not heavy on statistics it's not heavy on self-help it's just my straight-ahead story so people can read it and hopefully see a mirror to themselves and recognize that uh, it's, you know, it's an addiction that can turn sinister. It can get really critical. It can go very bad. And before they get to the point that I did, maybe my book will stop them in their tracks and encourage them to get a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely thank you for, for doing that and rising above. I know... Um, I've dealt with it on being the wife end of things. I was married to a guy for three years, I think, and I didn't even know he really had an addiction until one night I was sleeping. I fell asleep on the couch or something, and uh, I kind of woke up in the middle of the night, and he was in the bedroom watching it. And I was like, what the hell? (laughs) You left me out here on the couch to go do that? And then it all came out, but I didn't even know because he had hit it so well that I didn't know. And I was, I felt betrayed. I felt all these things and really it had nothing to do with me. Oh, it it has absolutely nothing to do with you. And one of the Mm -hmm. things that uh, it's interesting is that, you know, porn addicts seem to believe, (coughs) excuse me, that there is a uh, problem of some sort with their spouse or with their marriage or with their girlfriend or, or husband or boyfriend mm-hmm. in that this person just isn't the sexually compatible person that I need. And unfortunately, um, a lot of those girlfriends and husbands who uh, are told that believe it when the fact mm-hmm. is, you know, you could not be there and they'd have that same addiction. Or they could be yeah. married to they could be married to the most wild sexually free person on earth, and they still mm-hmm. would have that same problem. Their problem yeah. is an addiction, and addiction is about coping with something else that's going on in their lives or or went on in their lives, and it has yeah. nothing to do with intimacy with their partner. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I think you know that's a huge message to get out to a partner that's out there dealing with, you know, their partner doing it as well. So they don't feel that, that feeling of, I don't, for me it was betrayal and it was like, you know, I, I just couldn't understand it. Not that I have right. anything against porn. I think in moderation, if that's what you're into, then that's what you're into. But if you're doing it all the time, <laughs> it's a problem. Well, it's like, like, like any other substance, you know. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't handle alcohol, but I can go into a casino two or three times a year and walk out not thinking anything of it. People yeah. have their things they can't handle. Mine was alcohol. Bigger one was porn. And uh, 
it's because it's it's an illness that doesn't you know doesn't really have to do with with who is in your life at the moment and yeah. that betrayal makes sense and the sadness and anger that you know that all makes sense mm-hmm. but hopefully the message can get out there that you shouldn't feel guilt or you shouldn't feel That's that right. any of it is your fault because it absolutely isn't the only thing if you if you want to feel guilty about anything um you know you got played by somebody who was a master manipulator because addicts are liars and manipulators we have you know no problem saying what we need to say to get what we need to get and we mm-hmm. don't think about the consequences involved um even when that involves the most important people in our lives and mm-hmm. um you know, that's that's just something that people need to realize is it doesn't have to do with them. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it okay, but yeah. it doesn't have to do with them. Yeah, and no guilt. Guilt is, guilt is bad. Save the guilt for when you do something wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, exact, that's the perfect way of putting it is that, you know, look at your own life and you should have plenty of reasons to feel guilty. You don't have yeah. to look at somebody else's because you didn't make the person that way. Um, yeah. They either didn't realize they had a problem or chose not to seek help, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't you. You can't make anybody do anything. And on the same hand, remember that nobody can make you feel any certain way. Uh, yeah. You know, you 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 feel a certain way because you choose to feel a certain way, and that's actually yeah. been a big part of my recovery um, in dropping resentments and in realizing that you know. To start any sentence with, you know, you make me feel is a complete fallacy because nobody can yeah. make me feel anything. It, okay. You know, there, there are involuntary reactions, but at the core, I choose how I respond to yeah. whatever happens in my life. Yeah, exactly. And you may not, like, I think some people think they're just auto, like on autopilot, well, I do this, but you do it because it works, right? Like right, if, absolutely. If yeah, absolutely. And it's somebody, easy. It's know. easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, so you said you have a website. Can you say that again yep. for our listeners so, so they can Absolutely. Find you? The website is recoveringpornaddicts.com. Um, and that okay. is a great place for resources, facts, and figures. It talks more about my. Uh, my recovery. The book is really about my downfall. Uh, the website is really about my recovery and how I continue every day. Um, so okay. if you check that out, it is recoveringpornaddict.com. Awesome. And they can order your book, I'm assuming, off your website as well? Yep. Yep. Right there. Okay. It's called The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About. Um, you can also okay. you know, just go direct to Amazon and type that in. But there are links up there on my website. Awesome. And do you have any uh, social media like Facebook group or anything like that? I don't. I don't because part of my probation conditions, which I will be under for about another year, is that uh, Mm -hmm. I stay off social media. And I have to tell you, um, after this presidential election and all of Mm -hmm. the uh, political stuff, whether it be the, the Me Too movement or, you know, guns in schools, um, or just having to listen to people on both sides of things fight. I love being off social media. That's been one oh, of the yeah. greatest things that have happened is that yeah, I'm I not sucked into that world like I was before. 
Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting, I have to say. I stay off there most of the time. I do business and that's it. No, yeah. Well, and I just got, I would get so wrapped up in my own opinion on things, whatever they had happened to be, and would debate yeah. people and waste time and energy on things that I would have no impact to with this, in this world. Um, yeah. You know, one of, one of the things for my recovery is I actually avoid the news quite a bit because mm-hmm. it gets me agitated and mm-hmm. there's anything I can do to not get myself agitated is a good thing. And yeah. ultimately it doesn't matter what my opinion is on the president meeting with the president of North Korea, because I have yeah. no effect on that whatsoever. And anybody yeah. that I'm arguing with about it has no effect on it. So why are we yeah. doing this? And yeah, uh, it's exactly. just much healthier for me to stay away from that kind of interaction. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. I know I get, I see all these things and it's not that I like one president or the other, but I always tell people like, quit complaining. And unless you think you can do a better job, then apply to be the president. <laughs> Let's stop yeah. it. Yeah. This is so yeah, irritating. That's, that, that's, that's, that's absolutely true. <laughs> this whole You're freedom of right. thing, I tell you. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on and doing this interview with me, Josh. That was, um, I think it's insightful and I think it's valuable information for people. Um, And I encourage everyone listening to make sure you go ahead and check out his website. And it is also on my website, which is rawrelationships.net. You can find him. He'll be in the past interviews. So just scroll down and you'll find him in there and yeah i hope you have an awesome night and thank you thank you thank you so much for chatting with us tonight 